Father, as we come this morning, we're grateful. It, it, it is true. You're far more blessed to give than to receive. And we experienced that as a church, not just last night, but over and over again with Grace and Emmanuel. And, uh, you've given this church a tremendous heart of faith. And you've given this church a tremendous heart of generosity. And it is a privilege to pastor this group of people. Lord, we thank you for that. As we come into December this morning, we're talking about one of the reasons why you came, and that is uh, the ways we kind of wickedly replace you with other things. And then we transgress and we sin against you. We're going to talk about that this morning. And uh, we ask for your favor to highlight for what it looks like from your perspective. And uh, we seek you for that this morning. So we open the service to your input. You are a most honored guest. And we ask this in your name. Amen. All right. So we've been going through this series on awe. And uh, let me get there to the slide. There we go. Oops. There it is. And I've been talking about that God should capture our awe. Now, the key word in there is should, because a lot of other things tend to demand our attention. Anybody have distractions this time of year? Anything else demanding your attentions, right? Any of you barely make it this morning? Like, maybe we could just blow church off because the schedule's so full, I don't know how we're going to navigate the whole deal, right? We, we all face that. And it's pretty easy to get caught up in the cares and concerns of this world and get caught up in the busyness and just lose all. Just Jesus, yeah. Right? It's a name. But what we want to do is, is look this morning at how does that happen and why does it happen so that we can think it through in the week when we're not together and we can have some understanding of it. And what Scripture calls this is Scripture calls this the bad exchange. Right? This is... Uh, God talking in the book of Jeremiah. This is a period of history in Israel that is not good. They have uh, completely walked away from God. And uh, God has sent prophets and they've stoned some. They've killed others. They threw Jeremiah in the stocks. And uh, God is saying this. Has a nation ever changed its gods? And yet they're not gods at all. But my people have exchanged. And you could put the word replaced there. right? My people have exchanged their glorious God, for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, you heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. That's what it looks like to him. It's not a little deal. It's a big deal. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Now, that last section there is a fairly famous uh, section. Most of us would recognize those verses. But I, I just want to say this morning, if anything describes the United States of America at this present moment is this statement. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cistern, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Does that sound like us or what? Right? Now, for us in the Northwest, deprivational water illustrations don't go too far. Right? Especially with the week we just had. Like, we're drenched in rain. Right? So, um, I want to look at uh, it a little bit. In, but if, we're, if you live in a desert, 
And many of us have been to the desert. We've been to Arizona. We've been to eastern Washington. We've been to the Baja. We've been to places that you know, are extremely arid. And we know what that's like. And we've been in the heat. And we know thirst at that point is a completely different experience, right? So relate to that. Think of a place or a time when you've been in, actually in the desert where water is scarce and precious. Uh, this illustration from the Lord would have hit really hard, right? If you were that group listening to that. Now, a cistern, usually we'd say a cistern is a well, but a cistern actually is, usually it's a plastered underground tank or maybe like a natural cavern or a, a hole that would hold extra water, a, a reserve of water, if you will. Uh, so it wasn't a well, but it was rather an extra storage tank in which um, when the wells went dry, or in the case of, for example, warfare, where an enemy would cut the water supply off, say a stream flowed through the city, and that's where they got their water from, they would build cisterns that would hold water. If you've ever, uh, some of us have been, uh, I haven't been yet, but if you've ever been to Israel, uh, you would know the underground cisterns beneath that city were used just for this kind of purpose, right? So, uh, that illustration. So here's the point. A cistern was a backup plan, right? Wasn't the main thing. It was the backup to the main thing. The well or the river or the stream was the main source of water. But just in case, you built a reserve. Right? You had a, a place to go for backup in case the main source failed you. If the well dried, if the stream cut off, no worries. I got a backup. Right? What would be your reaction when you go to the backup and there's not a drop there? Right? You're confident. Yeah, they cut the water off. Yeah, but you know what? I got the cistern. I got my backup plan. And you go, you take the cover off, or you walk into that cave, and there's not a drop there. And as you stand there and look, you notice something you never noticed before. Down in the bottom, there's a crack. And all the water has run out through that crack. And there's not a drop there. What would be your thoughts at a moment like that? What I depended upon, what I thought would sustain me, has totally and utterly failed me. It's a picture of trading, or if you will, exchanging. Um, that has gone wrong. That's gone bad. Right. We understand this language because we use it all the time. This word exchanging. Uh, how many times just this season have you heard the phrase, I'd like to exchange this? Right? Uh, as Americans, we exchange everything. Right? Uh, and another form of language, we call it upgrading. Right? We upgrade our watches. We upgrade our cars. We upgrade our TVs. We upgrade our VCRs. We upgrade our families. We upgrade our wives. Right? Just change. Start over. Right? Upgrade. And God says those are bad exchanges. Now, not all exchanges are bad. I know that. I don't want to insinuate that. But I would like to look at this because this one's critical. If we exchange the awe of God for something else that's going to be our reservoir or our tank and we think it's going to sustain us or it's going to fulfill us, uh, 
we find out really quick it's a very disappointing experience. We put a ton of emotional energy into whatever this is and then this crumbles or cracks or bends or breaks and we're suddenly left bankrupt. When I exchange the awe of God for something else, what I'm actually saying is that this person or thing, be be whatever it is, is more important or more real or more desirable, more life-giving than God is. This fulfills me, my heart, more than God does. And so I give my attention to the thing. I give my awe to that instead of God. And this is where, by the way, the Bible's very different from other books um, because most other books tell us how good we are and what we can accomplish and how fantastic we are. And the Bible, if you think about it, is one of the few books in the world that actually tells you what's wrong with you. You ever thought about that? It actually says this is the problem. This is why things are broken. This is why it goes sideways. So let's look at this exchange this morning. In Romans 1, it's called the crucial exchange. It says, for although they knew God, in other words, there wasn't a lack of knowledge of God. They fully knew about God. That's the thing we have to understand is that we think of the poor lost and they're out there and they've never heard of God or they've never heard His name. And Scripture says, no, the law of God is written on our hearts. People know And they they know of God. But it says they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they came futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And here's the word, exchanged. Right? They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creeping things. Now, for us as Americans, that's kind of a silly thing because we go, look, we're not idolaters. We don't build statues and things like that that they did in those old days. Uh, that We just don't do that kind of stuff. So obviously we haven't fallen into idolatry the way uh, the people in the past mythological ages of the Bible did. All right. Well, let's stop and take that a little deeper and see if that's really true. Notice the two telltale symptoms. Symptom number one, they did not give proper honor. The old saying is, give honor where honor is due. All right? And one of the first telltale signs of somebody who starts to go sideways is they fail to give God the honor that is due him. The honor that's due his name. The honor of who he is. Uh, we fail to give honor. In other words, that gets to where we start to ignore. That is where we start to make fun of. Uh, if you watch TV, uh, one of the great things is to get you to laugh at something even if it's incredibly immoral or incredibly offensive, because if they can get you to laugh at it, later on they know it'll soften you up so that you accept it. All right? And so we, we get anesthetized to things that we at one time took an offense to. Uh, if the people from the 50s, and if some of you are from there, just pretend you're not here right now, right? But if the people from the 50s could come and watch what's on TV right now, they'd be appalled, right? They would not believe what they see on TV because that would be considered phenomenally immoral. And we take it with a shrug of the shoulders. We become anesthetized to it. Then the second one is, it says, nor are they grateful. 
just a lack of thankfulness. We take so much for granted. We take for granted, for example, our bodies are going to operate right. We take for granted that air is around and we're going to breathe it. We take for granted that there's water to drink and there's food to eat and that we can accomplish things. And we think we've produced all this. We think we're the engine behind it. It was our brains and our genius that developed all these things. And so really all we need to do is depend on us. When the reality, it's the word of God that holds us all together, even as we sit here this morning. Imagine if Jesus had a hiccup right now and he just forgot to hold the atoms in the chair together. We go, that's a silly, stupid illustration, Steve. But it's true. He holds all things together by the power of his word. And so uh, we, we grow unthankful. Any of you ever get unthankful? I have. I have. And I look back and I go, ooh, not good. Not good. Right? Just flat out ungrateful. God, I don't think you're much. I don't think you've done much. Not impressed. You might hook some, but you're not going to hook me. That's kind of the thing. Both of these two things, not giving honor and having an ungrateful heart, compounds the inability to appreciate what God has, will, and can do in our life. It was John Calvin who said that the human soul is an idol-making factory. And here's the important point. You don't have to wreck statues to be an idolater. Right? It can come in many different forms. Whatever we lift up in our heart that takes place or usurps God's role is idolatry. Because it vies for the attention that should go to God. And now notice the list. Look at that list up there. It says what's interesting about this list is this is all the things that man was supposed to be sovereign or have dominion over. Right? It's, you've got the birds and the animals and the creepy things and remember mortal man. In other words, things made in our image. Um, if you watch when they talk about Hollywood, they talk about the actors in godlike terms. She's a goddess. Right? Those kind of, we use that kind of language uh, as if they actually were God instead of God being God. So I want to pick up on this dominion idea and look at that for just a little bit. Let's look at the issue of dominion here. Oh, by the way, I forgot to mention we're, we're going to have communion today and uh, we'll celebrate that. So all we ask in communion is that you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you can participate in communion with us. But the issue of dominion, if you go back to Genesis 1, it goes all the way back. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion, that's rule, over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creepy thing that creeps on the earth. So we were given dominion. So what's the real issue that's gone, that went wrong, that goes wrong, that's gone wrong in the garden? Paul Tripp in his book on awe says that if you think it's about fruit, you're sadly mistaken. He says there was a lot of fruit in the garden. It wasn't about they just had a different kind of fruit and they needed to eat the fruit. He said it was a far deeper issue. This wasn't about eating. This was about attaining. And I think he nails it dead on the money. 
This is about attaining something. It was about something far more organic than fruit. It was about dominion. What did the serpent present to Eve? If you eat this, your eyes will be open and then you will be like God. You know what? You have dominion over all of this. You've named all the animals. You've named the plants. You are in authority over this. But there's something that has eluded your grasp. There's one more thing left. There's one thing you don't have. You ever been tempted with that one thing? That if you had that one thing, then you'd be happy? Then you'd be fulfilled? And then you'd be satisfied? And Satan did that to you. There's just one thing you don't have. You can be like God. If you eat that fruit, you can be God. It's about a dominion that was usurping. It was an unrighteous dominion. You can rule without his oversight. You don't need him. He's only made you think that you need him. And so as we know, the exchange was made and we have been God players ever since. Our, I've said many times, I will continue to say it, but our drug of choice in America is control. All right? If you watch how we operate, you watch in our families, you watch uh, in our relationships, control is the driving issue over almost everything we do. Because of this, our desires, our drives, our passions enslave us. So what happens then? So we tell God, we don't want you to rule us. And he says, all right, he's a gentleman. He'll step back. Right? He'll do it. And then what happens is our desires rule us. If you go back to, um, there we go, go back to Romans. It says, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of the bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. We make something that's not God, our God, we worship it, and then we become enslaved by the things that we make God. Our, our God of choice in all of this? Ourselves. Right? I'm God. I'm in control. I get to call the shots. And you will do what I tell you to do. Because I'm in charge. That uh, is deadly. Notice the exchange, though. We trade worship of the Creator for worship of the creation. So what we are supposed to be in dominion over, we now start to worship it. Right? Not hard. Uh, remember back when you were a teenager, you got your first car? Right? And... You polish that $50 Rambler like crazy because it was the most precious thing you owned. And you're going, what's a Rambler? Anyways, and, you know, and, and we, we worship bodies, right? We have greed for bodies. We have greed for stuff. We have, and it's insatiable. You can't fill it because only God is meant to fill that and that it's always been true. That always will be true. That's true this moment as we stand here. Only God can fill that inner place that needs to be. 
And notice this, when I decide to exchange all of God for something else, I must, by definition, move out and away from his control. So I have to step out from under. If you think of an umbrella and I'm under the propitiation of God, that's a very big fancy word, which basically means protection or covering. If I'm under that protection or covering, I have to step out of that to grab what I want to get. I must take dominion into my own hands. And when we do this, transgression or sin is not far behind. Right? By nature, I'll have to sin to grab what I want to grab. Tripp says, sadly, not a day goes by without us becoming transgressors in some way. And I think it's absolutely true. He says we willingly step over God's wise and holy boundaries again and again. He says we know the law. Theologically, it is wise and for our good. We know that in our heads. He says, but we, we don't transgress because we are ignorant. He says, think with me. He says, if you're angry and you're up in someone's face, so close that they can feel your breath, saying mean things you shouldn't say, you are not doing that because you're ignorant that that's wrong to do. Right? You know what's right. You're just doing it. He says, no, you're doing it because at that moment, you don't give a rip what's wrong. (laughs) Right? You really don't care. You want to get your point across. At that moment, you are Lord sovereign in your life, setting your own rules. You want something, and nothing is going to stop you from getting it. You don't have a law problem, he says. You have an awe problem that causes you to have a law problem. In other words, because I've misplaced my awe, now I've got a law problem because all I do is find myself transgressing because I'm not brought under. The Holy Spirit can no longer stop me. The Holy, you ever had the Holy Spirit say, no, don't say that. Ah, and then you say it. And once it's out of your mouth, can you get it back in? Right? No. He says, God is not in your thoughts at that moment, let alone ruling your heart. And he said, this is the real struggle for all of us in the family rooms, the kitchens, the bedrooms, the apartments, the malls, the offices, and automobiles of everyday life. And he said it so well, I felt like reading it verbatim. What does this look like in real life? We had an illustration this week in real life. Rob came in this week. He said, Steve, man, we had this thing happen. I said, well, what happened? He said, well, we have the senior high Bible study every Wednesday morning at Top Pot. And uh, he said we were in there and, and we were doing the study and there's this young man, he was uh, in, the, in the restaurant with us and, and you could tell he was kind of getting irritated and then he went off. He just started yelling at the staff and you know, making all kinds of accusations and that kind of stuff. And, and they, they said we got kind of nervous, we didn't quite know what was going to go on. And then the guy comes walking over and Rob says, I was kind of creepy because I'm looking at the kids and he's over at the back of my shoulder. I'm thinking, what's he going to do? You know? and, uh, and he says, you guys doing a Bible study? Yeah, we are. Well, can I join you? Yeah, I guess. And, and so he sat down and he said, hey guys, look, he said, I don't know what's happened in my life. He said, I don't, I don't know what's wrong, but he said, my, I used to be like you. I... I was on track. I had a lot of potential. And it's just all gone south. And he said, let me encourage you. He says, don't go my route. He said, you know, I started with weed. And he says, and obviously he's on to way stronger stuff, right? Probably heroin. And uh, 
And he was just lamenting what had happened to his life when he said no to God and he ducked out to go after something that promised a better life than what God would give him. And, and Evan Gamber uh, just said, hey, dude, we don't know where you are and that kind of stuff. But Evan just started sharing incredible stuff with this guy. He's sharing his testimony and stuff. And, and then the guy got up and thanked him and he left. And after they're done, Evan looked around and goes, what did I say? He didn't even know what he was saying. It was just kind of a Holy Spirit sort of thing. And, uh, but there, there was a classic illustration for our senior high students right there of this is who you are. This is who you could become if you do this exchange. And it's a bad exchange. Right? All of us on some level have made that bad exchange. All right, so the choice then uh, is to uh, rail or hail. Okay? We can rail against God. Proverbs uh, yeah, 19 says this, a person's own folly or transgressions or sins, you could add that in there, a person's own folly leads to their ruin and yet their heart rages against the Lord. The great part about this story is when the guy spent time with the, the Bible study gang, he said, man, I, I just really blew it, didn't I? He says, I need to go apologize. And he went back and apologized to the top pot staff. Isn't that amazing? A person's own folly leads to the ruin, and yet their heart rages against the Lord. The opposite of that would be in Luke, you have the story of Zacchaeus, and, and remember uh, Zacchaeus couldn't, was short, so he climbed up a tree because he wanted to see Jesus, and the crowd came by, and Jesus looked straight up and said, hey, come down, I, I need to spend dinner at your house tonight. And when he did that, all the people began to, to mutter, murmur, like he's the last person in the world, Jesus, you want to invite for dinner and house to go to. And Zacchaeus, when he hears them muttering, stands up and he says to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now, right here, on the spot. Boom. You want it? Here it is. He says, I give half my possessions to the poor. If I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. I'll make reparation. And Jesus said to him today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save that which is lost. What's fascinating about that story? Jesus never said anything to him about the gospel. He never said anything to him about his lifestyle. He never said anything to him about his sin. We don't have any idea what or how or how Zacharias knew it. Jesus just said, I need to come to your house. And when Zacchaeus heard the muttering, he instantly responded by coming under the exchange the right way. He exchanged his stuff for the king. He had awe. And because he had awe, Jesus said, today salvation has come. Right? He lined it up without Jesus ever saying a word to him. Isn't that fascinating? It doesn't have to be a big yell sometimes. Scripture says a soft word can break the bone. Right? Many times that's why God whispers. Because he knows it's a way to get through to us. I'm going to ask the men to come forward for communion, if you would, and begin to serve us as we've thought through this this morning. I want to look at this exchange a little further with us while they're doing that. There we go. We're coming at Christmas, and Christmas captivates people. It captivates the world. 
people who aren't even Christians are captivated by it. They want to have the spirit of the season without having the person of the season. Right? Because they recognize there's something really genuine about this time of year. And John 3.16 captures this so well. It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son... Go ahead, guys, distribute. While we get started here, thanks, Dean. You know this scripture well. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. What are we celebrating? We're celebrating the entrance. We're celebrating the great invite. We're celebrating the great obedience. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. And again, we would put the word, if you say, what's Northview about? What Northview is about is the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we proclaim is that only in Him can a person be saved. That only Jesus takes away the sin of the world. Only Jesus takes away your sin and my sin. He covers our transgressions that we have accumulated because we have exchanged poorly. He has covered the debt that we couldn't pay. And it says, So whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the only name of the Son of God. What did Jesus come to do? We know He came. If you go in the book of Galatians, it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Jesus, of course, was hung on a cross. So that Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. The law says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us are idolaters. All of us have made the bad exchange. We all fall short. We have all fallen short. And if you've known the Lord for a long time, continue to fall short. Okay? And it says we need to be in awe of this exchange, especially believers. Why do we ramp up at Christmas time? Why the special attention? Why? Because it's the most awesome thing that ever happened in the history of the world. God saw our problem, came, entered our world, came on our turf, right? Playing by our rules. And of course, we know the end of that story, right? Happened on Good Friday. We killed him. But then there's this other thing called Easter, the resurrection. world hasn't been able to get over it, never will. Right? Why Christmas so big? Because this was the entrance. Help is on the way. SOS, God heard, and he came. When we come to communion, when we come to communion, we're coming to that incredible picture of God hearing the SOS. We're coming to God saying, I know you made a bad exchange. So let me make an exchange with you. For your sin, I'll give you my body. All right? I will cover your sin. I will exchange for you. Remember at the Last Supper, he took this. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Eat it in memory of me. And then he took the cup. I want to suggest the cup 
was the spilled blood. The cup is for our spirit. The cup washes. It cleanses our heart. Any of you ever feel guilty? Any of you feel guilty after this message? Feeling bad, man, right? Jesus said, this is the shedding of my blood for the remission. In other words, the exchange has been made now back. We can get back to him because of what he's done. We should be massively in awe of that. There's an open door where there was never an open door before. We have been given an avenue to recenter our awe in God. And when we think of what Jesus did, when you think of Christmas and you tie it together with Good Friday and you tie it together with Easter, it is awesome. Right? It's galvanizing. Jesus said, I'll never drink this till I come back. And if you thought the first part was awesome, wait for the second part. He said, drink this in memory of me. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And serve us. We have a chance to express some awe back to him. We're going to do it. We do it all the time, but you do it in a special way during the Christmas season. We'll be expressing some awe back to him. And awe comes from your heart. Right? God, you're awesome. It's one thing to sing a song. It's another thing to express awe. Let's uh, express awe this morning. Would you stand? Let's pray before they begin. Father, we uh, have seen your work in us. We got to see your work in other people last night step by step. Lord, we've seen it and changed lives. We would pray for that young man, Andre, who walked into the pot shop. That he'd, uh, not the pot shop, the pot top <laughs> shop. Good grief. Don't answer that prayer, Lord. Who walked into the donut shop. There, we're safe. May he give his life. May he make the exchange back. He made a bad exchange. And the results are extreme. For most of us, we can tend to cover our tracks a little better. We're more politically correct. But the results are no more disastrous. May we make the exchange back to putting you in first place. May we be in awe and we ask for that in your name. Amen.